Hello and welcome back to the island for part two of four of our special summer interview series, Deserted Island Dads. While History on the Table is on a short break for the summer, we thought we'd help you pass the time by hosting a couple interviews with some very special guests. This time we're joined by Mark from Coin Collectors, who just celebrated their one year anniversary of recording a podcast. Now, longtime listeners of History on the Table will know that there are some coin titles that aren't necessarily my favorite games. Regardless of that fact, it's always interesting to sit down and talk with someone who's passionate about what they enjoy. And that's exactly what we did with Mark. So sit back, shake up a Mai Tai, wash ashore, enjoy the interview. And just as a quick reminder, we're just under two months out from Historic Fest. There's a link in the show notes, historicfest.com. I hope when the summer draws to an end, we see you in Kansas City. All right, enjoy the interview. Thanks. All right. After a night of intense, heavy drinking and celebrating the one-year anniversary of Coin Collectors, we have a new castaway to the island. Not so loud. <laughs> My head. Hello. Hello. Welcome ashore. Who do we have with us? This is Mark from the Coin Collectors. Yeah. Welcome, Mark. Uh, tell us uh, tell us a little about Coin Collectors in case a uh, listener doesn't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Coin Collectors is uh, a war game and particularly coin series game focused podcast that releases under the Dads on a Map podcast umbrella. So uh, Dads on a Map uh, was started by James and Sanchez and they run uh, a pretty regular every couple of weeks podcast on... Yeah, whatever games they're playing, particularly train games, cube rails games, um, you know, some more games to a limited extent. And they have a, a really active Discord, Dads on the Map Discord, come join us. Uh, and myself, along with uh, Tyler, Phil, and Tom, had been playing uh, some coin games for a while and decided to start talking about them and recording our thoughts on those games. And uh, James and Sanchez were kind enough to allow us to uh, put out our little podcast uh, under the you know among the larger dads on a map community, and uh, so we uh, approximately once a month we'll put out uh, a war game focused podcast. Uh, again, we mostly have been looking at coin games, um, but we recently wrapped up our one year uh, uh, kind of anniversary of, of uh, broadcasting. Um, we did kind of a two part uh, series where we interviewed Jason Carr, head of development uh-huh. at GMT Games. And then we followed up with some of our own thoughts uh, on our episodes we recorded, the state of the industry, and what we're excited about in the future. It was great. I really I enjoyed it uh, over lunch today, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm glad. Thanks. Yeah. Well, so I have some great news, but I do have some bad news. So we have an ample supply of opponents in scotch and beer and any spirit you could imagine i think i saw a prototype copy of red dust rebellion washed ashore uh and volka rinky will be by to take your drink order in a minute other than that we have no games oh no yep it so, is my worst nightmare <laughs> we're gonna play a little game and we're gonna see what you washed ashore with and we'll have a conversation for those who this may be your first Deserted Island Dads, uh, welcome. I have Baby on the Table Part 2 on its way, and so this is a little, just fun little standby series that we're pre-recording. This is recorded on May 2nd. We just have a conversation, we're talking about games, we're talking about war games, we're talking about families and gaming, uh, anything in between. So I want to go, I want to touch on something that you actually mentioned in your end of the year show, but let's get a, let's get a Deserted Island game out of the way. Alrighty. And let's start with what I assume may be the smallest. Let's start with card games. So 
What's your deserted island card game? Yeah, that's a great question. So I grew up uh, playing bridge, contract bridge. Um, uh-huh. So I played a lot of that in high school. I mean, we were playing every day, me and some friends. And we even go to tournaments and, and earn uh, American contract bridge league master points. And Whoa. I didn't earn very many, but it was something we were really into. And so kind of like that was kind of, you know, my my seminal moment in gaming. Um, in a lot of ways. And so I think a lot of my interest in, in games, particularly card games comes out of a bridge. Um, not necessarily the trick taking aspect of bridge, but in the, here's, you know, here's a hand and no matter how awful it is, you have to do something with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so if I can stretch the definition of card game, just a tad, uh, I would say, you know, the card game I'd want to have, and, and probably my number one game overall is twilight struggle. Um, just nothing to me beats getting handed just an absolute pile of garbage and deciding, okay, what's the worst or what's the least bad path through this minefield and trying to figure out how you can, you know, head fake your opponent and play things out in the right order. And, you know, kind of having uh, a good enough, least understanding the deck to know, all right, if I do this, something could happen. Um, yeah, that's without a doubt. I could play that game, uh, every day and, and be a very happy person. Interesting. Not the direction I thought you were going with that. Um, and I don't think I've looked at Twilight Struggle or similarly Labyrinth through that lens before. Usually I get a bad hand and I just curse it. Uh, I, I don't see it as an opportunity. Have you, have you played much Labyrinth? Uh, no, I have not. Um, oh, okay. It's definitely on my want to explore list, but I haven't touched on that one yet. Uh, I think Bridge, particularly competitive Bridge, uh, is played um, where it's not even so much how, you know, playing the hand you have but you're actually playing other people who have the same hand so you play it in a style called duplicate where once you're done you put your own hand back in a little carrier board and you hand it over to another table and that table will play exactly the same hand whoa so it doesn't even matter like how good or bad the hand was is how much better you can play than anyone else and and you know you're not doing that exactly in twilight struggle but i kind of i view twilight struggle through that lens of saying i have a bad hand my opponent probably also has a bad hand uh and how much better can i play my bad hand than my opponent can uh, and so it's those kind of like little marginal gains uh, that I'm kind of clued into. And that's what, you know, kind of that scratches that itch for me with Twilight Struggle is, is asking me to, to solve that puzzle. That's fascinating. And when did you, when did you start playing Twilight Struggle? Do you, do you recall? Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, rel- you know, I'm relatively kind of recently returned to board games. Um, okay. And I would say it was like, uh, it was 20... 2018 the thanksgiving of 2018 um my my in-laws were coming over and i wanted to do something kind of fun something unusual and i knew my my mother-in-law really liked yahtzee and so i went out to the board game store and kind of or i did some research beforehand and then went out and bought a copy of um king of king of new york um which if you haven't played that it's kind of a yahtzee style rolling game and monsters beating each other up and so uh, that wasn't like the first kind of like hobby board game I had owned. We had Dominion, we had Ticket to Ride. You know, we always had a, a stack of these things. And, you know, it wasn't unusual that maybe I'd get one as a, as a present uh, from, from my family or something like that. But it was kind of, that was kind of like the turning moment. Where I was like, I did that research to find out what kind of like, a, what's a Yahtzee-like game. And then discovered like the Dice Tower and went and was looking at, you know, games that won Golden Geek Awards recently and started buying a few of these and started getting more into that. And I think in this process, particularly kind of like looking into Golden Golden Geek, you know, I was looking at kind of like what had been number one games. I don't remember if Twilight Struggle 
was still number one in 2018, or if it, you know, had been displaced not too long before that, but that quickly showed up on my radar screen. Um, and then, you know, it was, would have been a little while before I, I finally picked up a copy, but it was, uh, maybe a year or two later during one of GMT's, uh, kind of like big sales, uh, when they were the kind of warehouse sales, I went and splurged and bought <laughs> a whole bunch of these games. That I've been kind of keeping my eye on, including twilight struggle and, uh, my still unplayed copy of here I stand and the first coin game I ever purchased Pendragon. Um, and I purchased all these things and then I, you know, didn't have anyone to play with. So I got the app and I played the twilight circle app and, you know, got beat by the not very good AI and got a little better and got a little better. And, um, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm good yet, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I went from nothing to something anyway. That was, that was my experience. Great. And so I don't want to misquote you here. And I think this kind of ties into where I was going actually is you may have mentioned, if I heard correctly, like the next place you want to go in wargaming after this year of uh, an impressive amount of coin games is some of those staples or, um, just tried and true war games that you may have missed. Am, am I saying that correctly? You know, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever really played a hex encounter game unless you count space empires four X. Sure. Um, so yeah, I certainly, I, I don't have a lot of exposure to that and, uh, you know, I'll be in your discord and you'll be posting, you know, this game versus that game. And I look at them and I, I say, they both sound good. I don't know either <laughs> of these things, <laughs> you know, and according to the, you know, every war game, ever list this one's you know 15 and this one's 28 and you know i should go out and play these things because there are you know some 30 other war games in the world uh, that are worse than that one so i should go out <laughs> exactly. and, and play number 18 um yeah I, at the same time i'm also i'm also kind of selective um because my interest in in these games is not so much about like the the mechanics of, of combat um you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not so concerned in kind of, you know, how would a squad go about something or how would this technology be better than that technology? Um, but I'm really interested in why do we fight? You know, what are the motivations? Mm. What is, you know, what is a victory uh, beyond just like wiping out, you know, an enemy formation? And so that's, that's what I'm really looking for. So I'm looking for games that have a lot of above the table action, a lot of, we, you know, almost wheeling and dealing and, and, and have uh, you know more than just, uh, or, or at least maybe not more than just, but but emphasize the kind of the political dynamic that also goes along with conflicts. And that's that's I want to go back, and I know there's a lot of games like this, and that's really what I want to be exploring. Is there any? Because I I you know I I've talked about it before, and we can go back to games that are 40, 45 years old, and, and maybe even older, and find outstanding war games. And I think um, we're very, we have a, a, a wide range of games available to us where Cult of the New to me doesn't really matter as much so much in war gaming because there's such an impressive backlog of war games that we'll never play. And mm -hmm. so what are, I guess, what are some front runners from uh, your pre-war game interests that you really want to check out? Um, so uh, as I said, I have this copy of Here I Stand sitting on my, oh, yeah. on my shelf kind of mocking me uh, and my five friends that I don't have at that moment. Uh, so that's certainly something I want to play. I've heard you talk about sort of Rome uh, as being the, you know, any player count less than, than six <laughs> yeah. version of that. Um, some of the antecedents to the coin series, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, you know, Vocal Runkey's notes point out Angola as being uh, inspirational for Andean Abyss. I'd like to go back and kind of, you know, read the read the work the masters were reading. Um, right. And, uh, you know, given how much I like, you know, Twilight Struggle, I want to look more into CDGs. Sure. Uh, just, you know, that's uh, just a mechanic that I found so fun. So I'd like to go back and, and do that. And I mean, kind of anything with Mark Herman's name on it, uh, you know, will will get my attention. Um, uh, Churchill, for example, I really want to get back to those. Um, the Histoga- Histogames uh, games, you know, they have kind of a very, I feel like they're kind of their own little niche in, in the hobby and, but they have this very, very, uh, you know, very strong supporters and, and vocal supporters. And that's another area I want to explore more. Awesome. Let's take a quick pause and we'll do another deserted island war game because, it, or, uh, this is non war game, but it, it's when I hear, when I hear things like this, it's really tempting for me to chase those rabbit trails because even, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you started playing Twilight Struggle in 2018 and I started playing war games not long before you, so we're actually in a similar boat. I think we've taken uh, slightly divergent paths with your interest in coin and these, uh, how you guys keep, you use this term above the table interaction, which I really like. Um, but let's take a pause from that real quick. And why don't we talk about your deserted island, non war game board game? Yeah, that was a tough one, um, you know, because you know I, I think of myself as, as very much an omni gamer, sure, um, you know, and so it, you know, despite the fact that you know I, I do this this podcast about you know coin games and war games, you know, that's a relatively small part of my like my overall interest in the hobby. So kind of narrowing this down was tough, but uh, at the end of the day, I think I have to give it to Tigris and Euphrates, the Reiner Kinesia tile layer classic. Um, you know, another, this is another one of these kind of you get a little hand of tiles and it's not always what you want, but you have to work with it. Um, I love the spatial element of the game as, as these little kind of settlements grow and interact. Um, and, and nothing is ever really owned by anyone, at least in any kind of permanent way. There's, there's not your own home base because someone comes in and drops down a leader and, has a, has a revolt and somehow the dust clears and suddenly that's not yours anymore. And all of your plans about expanding in this way and building in that way, just go up in a, uh, a puff of smoke. Um, but the game has a great pace. It never outstays its, it's, uh, it's welcome. Um, and just, it just takes so many boxes for me. So it, I, if I could, if I could have, uh, my Tigris and Euphrates, and you said I got like unlimited beverages. I've always wanted to have a T and E and T T E A, uh, kind of like Sunday morning, uh, kind of like uh, group, you know, just to get together and, and play that, you know, kind of like, you know, chess in the park kind of a thing. Uh, so, you know, if I have to be on this desert island, at least I can, I can make my T and E and T club be a reality. Oh, there, there are no limits to your imagination other than the games. So I, you know, Tigers and Euphrates is a game from the late 90s, and when I started getting in a hobby war game, like, sure, it's something you heard about, like Tigers and Euphrates, just like, I don't know, you you maybe heard about a choir or something else, you know, pick your, pick your game that predates mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you join the hobby. And then I, I start hanging out with the Domers, and then I really start hearing about Tigers and Euphrates. I've never played it. Oh, I think, I, you, I think you'd love it. I, it. It has war game bones in a weird way. Like, it, it's not at all obvious, but I, it's it's there. It's there. Have you, have you played yellow and Yangtze? No, I haven't. Um, 
you know, the between kind of like limited print runs and, you know, having a copy of T and E that I wasn't playing enough. I never, I haven't got a chance. I heard it has a good app, so that would be an easy way to, to revisit it. It's something I'd like to try at least, but I just haven't been, you know, once you have something that's kind of close enough, sometimes it kind of like eats, eats the babies and you never end up, you know, kind oh, of, yeah, you know doing the thing that's, that, that maybe is better and maybe is at least just different, but I just haven't, haven't made that effort. It took me a very long, when I would tell people that the U.S. Civil War is my favorite game, the always, oh, have you played victory games, the Civil War? It's like, well, and I finally have since then, but for a long time, it's kind of like, well, why would I? <laughs> because mm-hmm. this is the masterpiece. I only asked about Yellow and Yang Z because I have it, but um, my interest in TNE has certainly been, been peaked. So you mentioned that a coin, that coin as a whole is a, a rather small part of your overall interest in the hobby. But I, I am curious why, what was it about coin that other than clever alliteration to, to spawn coin collectors? Well, yeah, it was really that we came up with the name first and then (laughs) we were just lucky. There was a series that had the same, the same name. Um, I know that that would have been awkward. Otherwise I I would have been, you know, the, at the stamp and coin shop, uh, every weekend if if that hadn't happened. Uh, uh, I think, you know, just again, it was that, that political dynamic. And I could, I could see that right away that this was a game that, uh, that, that a, you know, in a very mechanical way, tried to model politics, um, that you, you know, at least the kind of the typical coin model is you have, uh, in any kind of particular region, you have both a kind of a physical show of strength in terms of who, controls that region and just, you know, on sheer number of pieces or, you know, kind of a relative strength of pieces or something like that. But then there's also kind of the hearts and minds and there's the political mm-hmm. support. And uh, often these two things are at odds with each other. So if the United States um, decides to call in air support in fire in the lake and bomb a region that drives down the political support, you know, they're, they're not just destroying the guerrillas, they're destroying fields and villages and that turns the local population away or you know they're spraying for for coca plants in in andean abyss and again you know they're achieving one goal at the cost of another uh and then layered on top of that is that these these factions are often always they're not going for the same the exact same kind of a win you know that that what they want to do how they win depends on their objectives and they don't all have the same objectives some want you know, control of kind of the, the levers of government and maybe they want to control uh, territory or have access to certain resources, whereas others uh, are are playing uh, purely, uh, you know, are trying to just win on propaganda and trying to, you know, convince the local uh, groups to, to join with them and can kind of, you know, hop in and, and do something good for the local population and then kind of wink out of existence there and move into the next place and set up another another, you know, kind of temporary, temporary activity there. And, and that, that kind of dynamic just, I mean, it just tickles my brain uh, just to think about, all right, you know, what's, what AA uh, as a player, what, what am I trying to do and where are, you know, where are my levers that I can pull? Uh, you know, the first time I play any of these games, you know, I can often see, you know, okay, I see, I want to move this, this marker up this track. I want to get more territory. Well, how do I do that? Well, the only way this faction can get territories to do this other thing. And you start to see these kind of these bigger loops exist. Uh, and then, and later on, then I like to engage with these games and think about, well, what was the, 
the thesis here? What was this designer trying to do? Because the people designing these games have put so much thought and effort into trying to say, all right, here, here's a moment in history. And I'm going to try to imagine what the motivations and capabilities uh, and limitations and interactions of all these groups were. Uh, and, you know, and what, how can I express what these things were within these kind of uh, these kind of tropes and conventions of this coin series? Um, kind of my personal favorite in this regard is Liberty or Death, which views, and, and this is contentious, but which views the, you know, the United States American Revolution as this counterinsurgency uh, kind of world. Um, and even, uh, it's something I think is, is often under undersold in, in my brief uh, introductions to other war games in this period, it gives agency to native factions that mm-hmm. have an interest uh, in exactly, you know, their interest sometimes aligns with the British, but, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, exactly align. And these kinds of things are just, uh, they just help me understand the period. And even if, even if I know it's, you know, that's not, this isn't reality. This isn't, you know, me watching history unfold on this table exactly, but it's me playing with a model that someone thinks could be the way the history happened. And I like to understand that model. And I like to see, you know, to, to what degree can I see this reflected in my understanding of the history to what, in what areas, Maybe this doesn't seem to capture what's going on. You know, what would be interesting ways that this could change? Uh, what, you know, what is the, the limitations of the system? You know, where do we have to simplify what maybe was lost in that? Um, so I think those are, those are the things that always kind of attract me. It kind of attracted me immediately to this series. Um, and I'm not quite sure how I saw that, you know, from the outside having not played a game, but maybe it was just enough kind of hype around it that I said, hey, this is worth trying. And I did, and then it kind of clicked. And, yeah, you uh, found a deeper, deeper level to it, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know what's yeah. I've I've talked about my feelings on coin before, and that's not what we're here to do. But I think part of my problem with my my first couple of goes at coin, which were Cuba uh, Libre and Liberty or Death, actually, was the lens I was playing the game from. And when I first started playing more games, my interest was very superficial. Like I just want to push dudes on a map and go play battle right and that's mm-hmm. that's not the expectation you should have it coined but like the more i spend time in this hobby and talk with people is either you start seeing those those thesis that you talked about the designer thesis behind it or just talking to the designers and even just getting the mechanical thought process of why mm-hmm. this mechanic is here there's a reason this crt looks this way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think anytime we can actually i don't want to sound i mean you use the word not in this, but I don't want to sound pretentious here. Like you can just play these games that have fun for sure. But there certainly has been over the last few years. Like there are layers upon layers and you can get different rewards depending on how you approach any of these games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think it's also important too, that, you know, designers give these conflicts, these, these moments in time, you know, very serious consideration, right? This people died, you know, the, the, the atrocities were committed and sometimes, you know, you're playing a side that, you know, had a my lie or, uh, you know, wiped out a, a village or something. Um, and it, it's, I think it's important that, uh, that we're playing games that they give that a certain amount of gravity, you know, and that and we, as players, we understand that and, and, and can engage with that and understand, you know, that we're doing this to understand history. 
Um, and it, it should be fun as well, right? That we're playing right. games, you know, and let's, you know, this is a leisure activity for <laughs> us. Um, but I, I like that I can, I can both enjoy it sometimes. Cause I, you know, I just, Oh, I had a great role, you know, for this, this battle, or I was able to time something just right. And, you know, that's just kind of fun and it's kind of basic way. But then, you know, when I'm done, I'm sitting back and thinking, I was like, Oh, you know, that's interesting. What if this offensive had been successful? Sure. You know, what if, you know, what if, what if, uh, I was playing, you know, Imperial struggle with a friend, you know, what if, uh, you know, Britain did in fact win the, American revolution had this huge foothold in North America. You know, what, what happens then? Uh, I think it's fun to, to come back at it from those kinds of angles and see those little, little opportunities for, for thinking about, you know, what does this tell us about history? What does this tell about human conflict? Uh, you know, what does this tell us about power dynamics and, you know, coin in particular, these kind of, you know, established governments fighting insurgent groups and ones that can blend in well and are hard to find. And it's not just, you know, big set piece battles on a, on a, on a battle, on a battlefield. I think, you know, this is again, this kind of stuff. It's kind of after the, after the play is done and I'm just kind of relaxing later and, you know, maybe going to bed and brushing my teeth. These are things are still going on in my head. And that's kind of lasting experience. I think is what we're all looking for in these games is ones that they stay with us once we're done. Once we put all the pieces back in the box, our brain is still going over things and thinking, Oh, what was the better move I could have made? Or what, what did for this sure. mean? Or, you know, hmm, I should, maybe I should go get a book on this subject and, you know, reread Matterhorn again or something like that. <laughs> Oh, don't bring up Matterhorn. That's just going to like, we could have a whole episode on Matterhorn. Yeah, I think that is a hallmark of a great game. Like you, you pack up and then instantly you're like, maybe we should set this up and like go again mm-hmm. or or all of the, you know, you can't sleep at night because you're tossed around or too excited after some crazy die rolls. While, while we're on the thread, we might as well just jump to Deserted Island War Game. Okay. What do you got? I, I don't think anyone at this point would be surprised, <laughs> uh, at least in, in, in broad strokes. Um, I, I waffled on this one uh, back and forth and back and forth. Uh, I think I'll have to go with Fire in the Lake awesome, as number one. But I have the special love of my my first coin game ever, uh, Pendragon, which is this perhaps the strangest entry in the series in a lot of ways. But uh, it was the first one I ever had, and I, I started by playing it solo. I just played it four-handed solo. Um, the, the the year I got it, I was my kids were my wife and my kids were were visiting the relatives for a week, and I was refinishing our deck, and so I would go out there and you know scrape and and paint and do all these things on the deck during the day, and then I'd come in and and be all sweaty and just move pieces around four handed solo and Pendragon, and you know kind of like you know the baby duck who who you know imp- imprints on 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 some human who take care takes care of it you know at a young age. I think Pendragon is kind of I've kind of imprinted on that as. As, as you know this this great game and I, I still love it i still absolutely love it but fire in the lake man what a game too coming back to that one later that's that one that one's just so good I c- completely agree i think fire in the lake's a, f- a fantastic choice it's one of the first coins to really click for me um is there anything like uh, y- we just talked about like why coin is there anything specifically about fire in the lake other than those broad strokes that really uh put it as a front runner for you yeah, I mean, it, it, within the scope of coin games themselves, uh, I think that it represents um, one of the most streamlined yet flexible uh, implementations. Um, you know, the battle battles are pretty straightforward. You, know, you just remove a piece. Um, at the same time, you have a few extra tracks in terms of the trail that uh, the the North is trying to maintain, and you have this this 
patronage that the that Arvin is trying to siphon off. Um, it has this, this has two great frenemy factions, right? I, I right. love this this aspect where you're kind of nominally on the same side as another as another player, but I think the the the, the fractures are some of the best uh, in Fire in the Lake um, between U.S. and Arvin, and, and on one hand, and then. You know, Arvin trying to steal off the patronage, and the United States trying to get them get their their people out of there. And then on the other hand, you have uh, the NVA, which is trying to like push the v, the VC to be you know cannon fodder, and the VC is trying to kind of let the the NVA actually do the real fighting and kind of pop up behind. And yeah, I think there's just I, I think I've I've said this on our podcast a lot, which is we're often asking what's the best first coin game, and while Fire in the Lake is probably has a lot of reasons why it probably shouldn't be. It's the one I always kind of want to be the first mm-hmm. coin game. I was like, let's just show you everything. Let's just show you everything a coin can have, at least so far, right? I'm, you know, in the future, who knows? But let's show you, I think, in some ways, some of the best implementations of all the systems and just throw it out there. And it's huge and, and crazy. And, you know, maybe you won't even finish that first game, but let's just show that out there and just get that in the spotlight and let everyone kind of see the scope of the game. Um, Maybe maybe don't go play Fire and Lake as your first coin game. <laughs> just I, you know, this this is from the guy who played Pendragon as his first coin game, and that one's even that one's even that one's like kind of the other end of the things where everything is complicated. You know, it's got right. complicated battles and uh, these little kind of fiddly little pieces in which you're like you know, these little like trivial pursuit pie pie slice pieces <laughs> have to carry these little gold cubes off the board, and I love just looking at that. But man, that's <laughs> a it's a crazy crazy game but oh the the kiwitates and and ducks relationship in that one is just i just love that one so much again these these above the table kinds of things and here we have this you know established roman uh kind of uh, economic class and as well as the this you know this kind of military that's trying to you know control you know maintain roman military control as it's slipping and the empire is crumbling and they're they're starting off as being so aligned and then the game itself pushes them Towards having greater and greater schisms. Eventually, I mean, quite literally, is you know a card that the ducks can play that kind of slashes that and immediately, you know, divides their support. I just, I just love that that evolution of that relationship in that game. Um, those, those are the kind of things. Again, they kind of keep me coming back. Of those, this, this, it's you know, the, the games are just you know wooden cardboard. It's the players that are making it interesting, and games that can make the players do interesting things and have interesting interactions are the ones that always get my attention. I. First off, I just want to say I love when any person you get them talking about a passionate, whatever their passion is. So like hearing you talking about Pendragon, it's just it's cool. the The other thing I do want to say is I think it was in Dome that this came up, where coin is group dependent. I think that can be mm-hmm. apply to board games as a whole, but especially in negotiation driven games. We I recently played a great game of Dune. And it had a lot of like selling information and negotiating and deal making. And afterwards, I was just thinking like how boring Dune would be without any of the negotiation. And I've played coin games where you don't have full group buy-in. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, a side effect of coin. I think it's more of a maybe a side effect of the the type of game coin can be at its best. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it, it certainly... It, it, you know, it, it takes the it takes the bumpers off uh, in the in the way of saying, okay, this is I'm gonna, we're going to set you up, but you have to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, the go, the game isn't going to do 
those negotiations for you. And, and to be honest, at least for the coin collectors, um, I don't think we're the most wheeling and dealing of groups. You know, it's not 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 every single card we're always out there talking. But usually, there's going to be some key moments in the game where we just you know we slow down a little bit and we start to say, okay, all right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to pass so that I could be first in order next time. But but I'm only going to do that if you, you know, if you say you're going to do this other thing. And then the other person's, you know, maybe kind of, oh, I don't know, you know, or like they'll do it and they'll, they'll maybe like, you know, take the event and do it somewhere, which wouldn't be the most helpful. And, you know, it's, it's not that that has to be like every single moment of the game, but yeah, you, you definitely have to have at least, I, you know, you can, you can play, anyone can play these games however they want. Let me, let me say, that. I don't want to be fair prescriptive about this, but um, I definitely think it, you know, has, as a mindset, um, you know, thinking about it at a minimum thinking about, you know, kind of talking with your own you know, kind of nominally allied player, you know, and then, you know, maybe moving on. Sometimes you want to talk to an enemy and say, hey, you know what, actually I'll let you, you know, take over this region. Cause that's going to slow down this other person who's in the lead. Who's, you know, sort of my friend, but you know, I still, I still want to win. And yeah, but yeah, I, I have to agree. You're, you're, you're absolutely right about kind of having the right table for it. People who want to do that. Um, you know, that's not everyone's, everyone's cup of tea and, uh, maybe there's still you know a fun, fun experience in the box uh, for those people. Maybe it's just you know not the game, and, and other things would be more, more, uh, more what they're looking for. You know, maybe it's better to have kind of a clear enemy. You know, me right. versus them. Maybe it's better to have more of a, an optimization puzzle, um, or you know, just you know, you know, a, 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 you know, calculate a game about calculation and who can do the best calculation. And then if that's what you're looking for, then then great. Um, oh, of, of course. And yeah. I, I don't even know if you need, I use wheeling and dealing from Dune because that's, that's when I think Dune's at its best it, for coin. I guess for me, it just, and again, if people play it a different way, you're absolutely right. I think it's at its best when people go beyond just the me- mechanics and any way you do that because the mechanics are very superficial and this kind of goes back to me and my introduction coin we're like oh i want to go fight mm-hmm. well that's not why you should be necessarily playing a coin game right right you, you want you want conflict but right maybe not necessarily fighting and right that's a that could be i mean sometimes it is you know sometimes sure you, know, you just want to get out there and and get rid of their pieces but yeah you, you want to you get that conflict going where yeah. do you, is there, I didn't ask you this beforehand, so it's catching you a little bit off guard, but is there, I know we have all these coin titles, you know, on the horizon and, and now we're starting to see from other companies outside of GMT, like labeling their games, coin inspired. And, mm-hmm. and is there, is there some topic of history or direction that you want to see the coin series go or cover? Um, so I, I'll answer that by, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about something I've been thinking about, um, in, in other podcasts that I like, the, the Revolutions podcast um, uh-huh. by Mike Duncan is, is absolutely fantastic. And uh, I've listened to several of this, you know, kind of sub series of that uh, several uh, again and again. And the one that I, I've returned to several times is the Haitian Revolution. Oh, um, I've always thought about it. it'd be fun to do to do something like this as a coin. Um, but I, but I wrestle with it as well because I, I end up writing down these factions and I'm like, okay, well this is the enslaver faction, hmm. you know, and does anyone really want to really want to play that? And so I think that's maybe an interesting kind of question for these games. Um, I, not like the, the topics so far have been easy. 
by right. any means. Um, but they've been maybe a little bit more ambiguous. Uh, and I kind of wonder if these games can work in situations where there's kind of really a much clearer historical bad guy. Uh, you know, like Vietnam kind of works because you know, on one hand you had, you know, communism, but it was really kind of a homegrown communism. Uh, and then you had the America being, you know, kind of imperial and, you know, it's, you know, it's not something that we as Americans are, you know, collectively have, have made our peace with that war. Um, and so you can kind of play all these sides and you, you know, you can, everyone can feel equally bad. Uh, Whereas I kind of wonder if, if coin could be extended at these, I, I want to understand the politics of, of things like the, the Haitian revolution, but you, you know, you had people who, whose number one goal it was, was to put people in chains. And I, I, you know, I don't think you could not do that. I mean, you could, you could do something different. You could, you know, design a game maybe where you're really kind of maybe playing more cooperatively or, you know, so somewhat cooperatively against a common kind of AI enemy or something like that. But you know, I, I think, yeah, so maybe I'm answering your question in a different way. Say, so I, I think there are ways, places where I really like to bring the, bring the kind of the core ideas of, of thinking about models of political and military interaction, but uh, are areas that I, I don't know if it would, if it would work as a game uh, in terms of just, would you want to be playing all these sides? Could we do it in a way that gave people just a, an enjoyable game, even if, uh, even if they could be having to play some real monsters, <laughs> I kind of wonder about these kinds of things. Those are, that's, that's, you know, one area that I, I'm curious about, uh, as a, as a, as a possibility. Yeah. I, I, well, it's certainly an interesting one, interesting topic. And it is, I mean, you can, a lot of topics, you, you, I, I have game aspirations and design ideas as well. And sometimes that's a really hard hurdle to get over is who wants to play this terrible faction I think so much of it comes through the lens. Like, why are they playing that faction? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes the why in wargaming, some people may have the wrong why, you know, especially in a traditional hex mm -hmm. encounter war game. But I, I think if you have, there's definitely an approach that should be taken and could be taken to maybe make that an interesting why, even with a true bad guy in coin. Right, right. I just think that, you know, in games that really emphasize political dimensions, you know, I think that why question becomes even stronger. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you're playing Axis and Allies, uh, <laughs> you know, this is tanks, different kinds of tanks fighting each other. You're not, you know, no one, the Nazis don't get any, you know, extra political bonus by, you know, ghettoizing and, and sending people off to concentration camps and, and, that's probably for the better. Like I, I can't imagine the game would be better if it had that element to it. But right. But at the same time, if you wanted to to explore that, you know, could you know Germany coming out of World War One and these punitive repercussions? You know, I, I know there's like multiple games about the Weimar Weimar Republic going on right now. So maybe maybe these kinds of questions are being asked in those games, and I'm looking forward to finding out about that. But you know, what could have happened? You know, what if you know the the war effort had been you know, not, not so kind of nationalistic and, and, but at the same time, maybe that's an option for that player to, you know, to scapegoat and, to and, uh, you know, dehumanize people. And then that gets some, you know, local political support that right. makes their, their options cheaper. Like, I think that's, that's the kind of questions I want board games to make us wrestle with, but maybe that wasn't a fun thing to do. So <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe there's not really a, a game there. I don't know. It's, it's a, it, 
those are the best ones. These games that make you kind of think about these choices, but at the same time are still enjoyable and, you know, defensible. I don't, I don't want to, I'd hate to have a game set up like that and someone come by and say, what are you doing? Well, I'm sending, you know, I've decided to send people, you know, in these cattle cars to a concentration camp because it helps me win this game, this board game. Right. (laughs) That's, that's not something I ever want to say to someone. Are you following the progress of uh, Cross Bronx Expressway? Mm, only from a great distance. Um, I know it exists. Uh, I've heard non-breaking space talk about it a little bit. I think on like the Homo Ludens podcast, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm not, you know, in terms of kind of the actual mechanics and uh, you know, kind of the more nitty gritty of it. I'm not too. I'm not too up to speed. Well, I the the only reason I bring it up is because it has these really interesting win conditions and i think it gets exactly what you're getting at it is tough actions and like you wouldn't want to tell anyone you know oh what are you doing and i don't remember exactly what the, the whatever bad actions you're taking are but mm-hmm. you're carrying these out to win but you can't go so far to destroy the entire infrastructure of what you're trying to build out and then you're also mm-hmm. like you're managing debt and all these things that are bad actions but it, it kind of seems like to me like how far are you willing to push those to win it it sounds really interesting mm-hmm. I, I think i think you know, this area is, is somewhere where maybe we have to be even a little bit more speculative about hmm. history you know and say you know what what could have happened instead right rather than um i'll take another you know, kind of a different trend in these examples you know instead of having the europeans come and you know, and, you know, push out the locals or, you know, enslave the locals, you know, what, what if there was trade, you know, what if there was engagement, you know, in an economic and in a social way, you know, what, what could have happened instead? I think at least coin games so far have tended to be, it's really not on rails, but, you know, with all this event deck that comes out of history, it feels, you know, very grounded in history, but it's not, maybe not quite as speculative as it would, it would need to be, I think, to, to grapple hmm. with some of these, some of these topics, you know, could you give someone other options at the same time? Would you really be capturing, you know, what pressures, uh, what constraints these actors were feeling at the time? And I think, you know, threading that needle, um, I think that was what would make a great game. If someone could, could balance those things to say, okay, you're, you're both, you know, you're both thinking like this, you know, like these people did, you're understanding what they're, they're, their pressures were, but maybe you can figure out a way that doesn't, you know, involve the worst possible outcomes. Um, I haven't played it, but there's a game called the cost that came out in the last year or two about asbestos mining. And yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's what they were going for with that game. From what I've heard, I, I need to play it. I haven't played it, but um, I feel like that was kind of their goal is to think about, okay, here's, you know, you're running this mine. You can, you know, either run it cheap or expensive. You can export it here. You export it there. Uh, these have real costs uh, to human life, but you have to make choices in the game. Um, yeah, I, you know, as I said, I haven't played the game. I don't want to talk about that one specifically, but I think I think that kind of mentality is what I like to see. I was, I mean, it's just like trying to think through it. Just I'm, I'm thinking different, like political events. Like, what if the entire Russian officer group wasn't wasn't purged in world war ii or something like that i mean i mean you can you can paint you can pick any historical thing and, mm-hmm. and throw a what if on it mm-hmm. i love sandbox games that let you explore that um but even then I, yeah super interesting idea i'd love to see someone uh 
give a go at that and maybe cross bronx expressway is the closest to do that but mm-hmm. i do uh certainly an interesting question to ask and explore in the war game space yeah and to loop back to like your the kind of the way you phrase this question initially is like you know what directions mm-hmm. would you want to go or, or thinking about some of these kind of coin adjacent games uh, i think you know other settings that aren't explicitly historical are probably good opportunities to explore these you know uh Red, you know, within the you know the coin line like Red Dust Rebellion, you know this future society that might have this dynamic. You know, we don't have to feel, you know, it doesn't have that kind of baggage sure. of historical uh, realism that we need to involve. Or you know, you know, if we're if we're making cute woodland creatures square <laughs> off in battle, we can we don't have to feel so bad when we like destroy their villages, you know, and, right? You know, and things. You know, we, it's a little bit more, you know abstract in that way so you know maybe there are opportunities to to explore it in those kinds of settings that wouldn't be possible in the historical world um in quite the same way sure well that all uh i'd be very interested one well one i'm already interested in red dust rebellion um even with a somewhat minimal interest in coin i, I do find it interesting but um yeah I think all of that is very well said and very interesting. I'm going to take it in a lighter direction, though. Right on. Um, because I want to save some time to talk about uh, families and gaming. So let's throw a light. Uh, how about desert, Deserted Island RPG? Well, I'm going to have to talk about family and gaming here uh, to, to preempt you a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm not much of a, a role-playing game person, uh, okay. at least kind of inherently. Uh when I was young, when I was very young, I mean, like in, in grade school, some of the kids in my neighborhood were really into this Steve Jackson, I think it was Steve Jackson games, uh, tune. It was like, you were playing like, you know, Bugs Bunny and, and Donald Duck as role-playing game characters. And we, we played the heck out of that one. Um, but then, you know, I, I never was very much into Dungeons and Dragons as I got older. Um, and so kind of, you know, for a span of, you know, 25 or more years, I probably hadn't played a role-playing game. And, uh, then when COVID hit, uh, a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he has a son, uh, the same age as my son and a daughter who's a little younger than my, my middle daughter. My kids are, uh, 11 and nine right now. Uh, and I have a three-year-old as well, but we can come back to that. Uh, so he, he contacted me and said, Hey, you know, we're all in lockdown. Uh, why don't we do a weekly, uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign over Zoom? Uh, and he said, I'll, you know, I'll be the, the dungeon master for that, the game master for that. And, uh, we can, we can do that. So we have for, I guess, you know, a little over two years now, uh, been meeting almost every week, you know, except for a few trips here and there and then things like that, uh, to do uh, dungeons and dragons, wow. uh, adventures. And my son, it, it just immediately, just from the very first day, boom, it just hit and it has just been huge with him just absolutely um not not all consuming but just you know he, he just he just you know it was fish and water immediately um then even even after our very first session like we're done we say oh no bye thanks you know we turn off the the zoom session he turns to me he's like dad can i be the dungeon master and so he has run his own campaigns now uh so like we've kind of alternated some storylines um where he'll run it and you know we'll be some adventurers who uh, are moving through various myths and legends. He's very much into the kind of the Rick Riordan myths and legends series of books. It's kind of popular uh, right now. And so he kind of bases it in that, but then Sonic the Hedgehog shows up because, hey, why not? Uh, and, you know, we have some big battle and, and we do some fun stuff. And my daughter, who's, 
who's now nine. She's run some like uh, one-offs for holidays. Um, so we did a, uh, a, a Nutcracker themed uh, adventure. And, uh, you know, if she ever writes it up, I'm, I'm going to give a little spoiler. The bad guy in that ended up being the Salty Plum Fairy, who was angry that the Sugar Plum Fairy was getting all the attention. Uh, and then we recently had a kind of a Easter spring themed revisit. And again, the, the, uh, the salty plum fairy came back to, uh, to kidnap the Easter bunny. And, and we had to go out and, you know, work that all out again and, you know, solve that little mystery. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's again, it's, it's not something that I would have gone and, and sought out on my own, but just as something to experience with my kids, uh, it has been, been pretty amazing. That is amazing. I had, my my own role playing is is relatively new as well, just in the last two years. But uh, once I got my wife involved into it, and we've done little like one on one role playing sessions where she's played D anD D. We also did um, kids on on bikes, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is really light. And just when we get those moments, it's I don't think she would have ever done that before. And just seeing that that light turn on, and then hearing you do that, that is. That's like the ideal for me. And that's that's kind of one of the questions I want to lead into is like okay, you've you've now had this two year ongoing role playing session with your kids was was there always kind of this I guess if they're 11 and nine, it may kind of predate you coming back to the hobby or whatever. But did you always have in the back of your mind like, hey, games are going to be something our family does or was it something less intentional? Maybe something that happened naturally. It certainly wasn't intended when we started having children. Um, okay. You know, so, uh, you know, when we had kids, this is back when we had, you know, Ticket to Ride or we'd play Lost Cities, you know, even some, you know, I think high quality games in kind of the hobby sphere. Uh, but certainly we weren't hardcore into it. And I wasn't really expecting, you know, you know I'm not having children just to fill out you know, a four person <laughs> board game. No. <laughs> You know, now, now I have three kids and so my wife can eventually have, you know, a night off when we're playing, you know, a full four person game of root or something like that. But, um, so, yeah, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the intention. <laughs> I'm just but, like but, now imagine that conversation with my wife. Hey, we really need a fifth for sort of room. I, you know, uh, this is, uh, this is outside of my hands. I can just say it's been, it's been working for us. <laughs> so working for us. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, but it's the kind of thing that now looking back on it, it kind of in some ways feels like it was inevitable. Um, you know, that it was just it was going to ha- it was it's one of those things like you know it's like first your friends know, then you know, then your parents know. Uh, it's one it's one of those kinds of kind of things about yourself that maybe maybe I could have anticipated this a little bit earlier and realized that this was going to be the case. Um, I certainly you know certainly we were the kind of family that if dad was going to get really into something, everyone was going to mm. be involved, whether they liked it or not. And it just, it helps that they like it. And I think particularly with kids, you know, they, they want to just, you know, do what their parents do and be included. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell for them. And my wife is, is a great sport and uh, she's not, you know, nearly as hard in the hobby as, as I am, but she's happy to play anything I asked her to play. Uh, she certainly has her preferences. Uh, something we've enjoyed recently was uh, red flag over Paris yeah, that's, you know, that's a, a great length for an evening and she's been, she's been enjoying that one. Um, but to kind of go back to your question, uh, you know, kind of the fact that I got into it kind of meant that everyone was going to get into it. And so, you know, we started, 
doing uh, some cooperatives. Uh, so, so the kids would probably have been like five and seven when I was kind of getting back into the game. So, you know, we weren't, we didn't jump in the deep, deep end, but it was pretty quick that they, I was, I was really impressed how kind of quickly they were able to absorb rules, um, not necessarily do strategy and certainly didn't have attention span for really long things. But in terms of just kind of getting in and playing, they were, they were gung ho about it. Um, it's kind of in that first year of getting back into board games. Um, so it was, uh, it was me and my wife, my two kids, and we invited uh, some good friends of ours over to form a six-person uh, legacy campaign of, of Charterstone, the Stonemeyer legacy game. Um, and so that one's, you know, it's, it's a pretty light game. It's just kind of a very simple worker placement thing, but it plays out over 12 games. And so, you know, once a week for, you know, about three months, we got together and we played a game of this, of Charterstone and the kids, they, they held their own in it. Um, we often kind of shortened the game a little bit to kind of fit their attention span, but we didn't have had to, we never had to make the rules themselves any simpler. They always, they always understood that they kind of knew what their objectives were. They always had a plan, even if it wasn't the one I would have necessarily picked, you know, they had an idea they want, they wanted to do. Um, yeah. And they've, you know, kind of, I think that was kind of the moment we became a gaming family is we had this, you know, this kind of big thing we took on and we did over this three month period. And, um, that was kind of what solidified us. And, and, from, you know, so now we, most of my playing, uh, is probably with my kids. Uh, and I, I would just, you know, being home and COVID certainly helps it, but I think you just, anyway, you know, we just enjoy playing together and, and get together and do these kinds of things. And, um, my youngest, my three-year-old, uh, she, you know, she's been seeing us play root. So the older, the older two and my wife and I have been playing root a little bit. And so now the younger one wants to play that. And she asks, Oh, can we get root down and play with it? And you know, just kind of move the pieces around a little bit or play with mm-hmm. one of her games. That's, you know, a little bit more toy factor, but yeah, it's, I think, I think, you know, this is kind of a common thing. You know, if you want to be a family that goes out and does hikes every weekend, just go do hikes every weekend. Right. And the kids will get on board with that. If you want to be the family that plays board games, just play board games and the kids will get on board with that. And um, yeah, that's, that's, it's worked for us anyway. Good. That's great. You got one, one desert, deserted Island and you mm-hmm. can stretch this one uh, or you could be a miniatures game. I mean, I may not know, but deserted Island miniature game. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not really a miniatures gamer either. The kind of, you know, kind of 40 K style or big box of plastic, you know, kind of board game style. Um, I think the closest, uh, would probably be too many bones, which is the okay. chip theory, uh, kind of dungeon crawler in a box, uh, entry. Um, and speaking of games I play with my family, we have played the heck out of that one. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, that seems like a good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So we would, uh, we were, we haven't, it's been a little bit since we've played a game, but we had a, a streak last, last winter where pretty much every Sunday we would be playing a six hour game of that. What? Yeah. It That's was awesome. pretty, pretty amazing. This is back when, or actually maybe because it wasn't this, this previous winter, but the year, the year before when the baby, when she was little enough to take longer naps, um, that's what we would be playing these six hour, these series. And, and, and my kids, you know, they get to know their characters, um, when, you know, chip theory was launching another, you know, Kickstarter. They, you know, they pooled their money with dad to, to get the Trove box. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been kind of a, a big thing for a whole family to, to be involved with. And that's, that's been a good one for us. It's, I think it kind of tickles some of that RPG aspect, you know, now looking back, you know, that my son and, and my daughter would really enjoy. Um, 
and it's got, you know, it's, it's cooperative games. We're all working together and uh, hopefully not getting too frustrated with each other. <laughs> That's when it breaks down is that sometimes it's like, oh no, you just, you know, he's got to go attack that thing. And then the kid like goes the other direction or something. You're like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's good. You know, the good bonding moment for all of us to, to just, you know, soak in this world of gear locks and trolls and dragons and, uh, and just kind of experience that and roll a bunch of dice. Can never go wrong with that with kids. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, my daughter is two and we have some like very basic hobby games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but checking that, that f- dice with the fish for a little go fish game. That's a, that's a big hit. And yeah, that's about yeah. as far as we go. <laughs> yep. I mean, I think like that age, you just, you just get the pieces out. And oh you can, yeah. You push the fish you can around. Move around. If you can, if you work on taking turns, I call that, you know, about as heavy as it needs to be. And <laughs> right. as you're having fun, that's the important part. Sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Are you ready for the hot seat? Oh, yeah. You know how the hot seat works? I imagine my seat gets hot. Your seat gets hot. Uh, yeah, so it's a lightning round. And I I guess, uh, as you pointed out when we were messing with each other, it's the history on the table hot seat. Hot as the seat. Hot seat, right. Uh, okay, so you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, let's kick it off. Uh, favorite topic to play a game on? Uh history yeah i think i mean you know my love of these games kind of speaks for itself there so i'm gonna go with history for sure okay best gaming experience you've had best gaming experience was dad one of these dads on a map con so you know at the risk of talking about this other podcast on your podcast oh no please uh, this is, that's why you're here yeah the getting together with people that by and large i kind of only knew over the internet with you know like one exception we went to this house con kind of as COVID appeared to be ending haha jokes on us uh but we got together and played games and no one no one got sick and we all had a great time and uh i haven't been to many cons overall but it's hard to imagine anything better than that nice uh on theme favorite ship wreck movie tv show or book gilligan's island nice and the the only and right choice mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I didn't have to think about that one cuba libre or fire in the lake fire in the lake uh do you read oh yeah Favorite historical era to read about? Um, I, I maybe kind of like near past, you know, kind of like early twentieth century in, in a way. Okay. Uh, who wins the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, people with sticks that that hit hockey pucks. Great. Correct answer. Uh, is Root a coin game? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Uh, I pulled this one today. When can we expect the Maria episode of Coin Collectors? uh let's shoot for september uh, i think that's that would fit in our schedule well and uh, i still need to read the rules so you know at, at my speed i think you know september would be would be likely uh tiki bar or brewery brewery Ugh, how dare you i I, uh, I brew my own beer so i, I oh have yeah to, yeah yeah i'm a home brewer as well okay uh well i'm gonna throw one at you then uh off the cuff here what's your uh what's your favorite type of beer I like session beers, just the low alcohol, easy drinking. Sure. You know, because if I'm going to have one, I'm going to have four. Uh, <laughs> he says as he as he knocks a few off that total. Uh, so I might as well make them low alcohol. Awesome. Uh, what games are on your table right now? Um, let's see. My most recent play was a kid in a shuffle with uh, the three year old. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a fun little it's a high toy factor game, but it's got some fun fun aspects to it. Um, and uh tomorrow i have a friend my i have a neighbor who comes over for a weekly game session 
And I, depending if we can get a third, I might go one way. But if it's just him and I, I'm thinking about trying him out on Watergate. Wow. Okay. Nice. Uh, favorite coin faction? It's hard to say. My, my favorite, I'll say my favorite relationship. I mentioned this earlier is the, the ducks and, and, and Kibitates from, from Pendragon. I just, I love the interaction. I'll be on either side of that, of that group, but I just love how, how much they love and hate each other. What's a game you've wanted to play, but haven't yet. Uh, here I stand. Oh yeah. I meant to bring this up when you were talking about it, but um, here I stand. I, I think with the coin collectors, uh, I'll propose that if the time ever permits, like that's my new favorite thing I do is block off a day around the winter holidays. Mm-hmm. And that's my here I stand day. And well, it's- maybe we could do like a, a Simpsons or sorry, the uh, Jetsons meet the Flintstones kind of crossover. Yeah, and we crossover could, event. You, and, you and Rich could join coin collectors and we could do a here I stand or something. That would like, that's just a great day all around. I mm-hmm. guarantee it. Yeah. But if, particularly if we all can wear funny hats, I think if they don't come in the box, you know, we, we're all responsible for our own. Got to hit up the Halloween Depot this this mm-hmm. year, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they got a lot, got a lot of po- Pope hats there, do they? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure they at least have do, the yeah, collar yeah, or something like yeah. that. Sexy Pope or something. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if any of them, it's going to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite non-war game related podcast? Um, I guess, I mean, Revolutions is, is history and, and war, but it uh, it's not game, I suppose. So yeah, Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan. What book is next to your bed right now? Uh, well, my Kindle is next to my bed, so okay. a lot of books are next to my bed. I'm a, I've, I'm, I'm a hard convert for the e-reader. Um, oh yeah, totally. I am. I've, I've been reading some uh, Preston and Child mystery novels. They're not, they're not high art, but they're kind of fun. Um, and I just yesterday grabbed uh, an audio book um, about a KGB agent. I'm forgetting the title, but uh, I'm about one chapter in, and it's already kind of grabbed me. So I'm really looking forward to, to finishing that one. Nice. Uh, last bad book you read? Oh, what was the last bad book I read? Um, I don't know. I just like to. I just like to read so much. I I, I rarely say a book is is bad. I feel like there was maybe I just purged it from my memory. I feel like there's something I didn't. I was like picked up and didn't finish. Um. Oh, there was a book by the author of Tiger Man, Nick. Oh yeah, Nick Har Harway is is the author's name. I, I think so. He had another one called like Nomicon, and I wanted I wanted to like it, but I didn't finish it. It just it was a book that just that just didn't sing for me. It, one thing I've discovered I don't like in books is when I don't feel like I can trust the narrator. Oh, um, okay. Somebody was talking about the the things we carried today. Uh-huh. And I remember I remember just having a very visceral reaction to that book when I read it. I mean, really? many, many, many years ago. I just, I just could not get over this, at least as I recall, and this has been, you know, decades since I read this book, but like the narrator being like, we'd kind of tell a story, but then would say that that story was a lie, but then would have another say that the lie was a lie. And I just, I couldn't, I could not deal with it. I just need, <laughs> you, you can be an awful, awful person or, or whatever. I don't really mind that in the narrator, but I just, I need a reliable narrator and oh, yeah it wasn't even so much lies in this in this nomicon book it was just kind of lots of different things going on i could never quite tell if it was reality or not and i just i just had to put it down (laughs) i had i had to know my limits wow okay uh if you could have one book on the island what would it be uh i'll think i'll take an asimov foundation collection okay you know awesome it's kind of one of the one of the few series that i've reread 
you know, usually I don't come back to books, but that one, sure. I hit that one every, every 10 years or so. Nice. Uh, if you could have one movie. Hmm. One movie. I don't know. Maybe I'd pick. It's a hard one. I'm not, you know, I, I enjoy movies. I don't, I, I don't watch any shortage of them, but there's nothing that really, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, a film buff. I'm not a cinema person. You know, I'm just a guy who watches movies sometimes. So fair. Um, uh, but you know, Hey, let's, let's go, let's, let's go with some watching uh, some, um, some film companionship for fire in the lake. And we'll do apocalypse now. All right. Uh, pin dragon or Liberty or death. Oh, don't make me pick my children. Um, <laughs> I love them both so much. I think I'll go with Pendragon. Just, I feel like I have to in some ways champion that one just out of, you know, it's this poor kind of somewhat, people are somewhat skeptical about that one. So I have to, I have to be its champion. Best city to get barbecue in? Uh, as a vegetarian, I don't feel competent to answer this question. So I'm going to say uh, no Alaska. I'm going to tell you what I told Volko. <laughs> Yeah. And that is that vegetarian barbecue exists and if done well, can be awesome. I, I'd like to believe that my own, my own efforts have not, have not okay. proved that point. Um, and you could say, you know, this could be user error on my part, but, uh, yeah, I have not made it sing yet, but I, I wish I wish to find out more. Um, yeah, you were talking about that restaurant in, in Kansas city that has some good vegetarian barbecue options. And I, I went there and I made my order and I picked it to, to go and I, I took it with me and it turned out they gave me some sort of meat thing. So I never got to try it, but no, I, I did really? go there to get something. Yeah. This is, this is before you talked about, this was this summer. Um, but, uh, I happened in to be Q39? there. In Q39? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. They, they just, they just, you know, mustered my order or something like that. And I got the wrong, the wrong thing. Oh, that's so, too bad. It's the one that got away. The one, the one mushroom that got away. That's too bad. Oh, okay. Uh, Gandhi or distant plane? Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go with Gandhi. That one, that one's been real wow. interesting lately. I'm, I'm only like a play and a half into it. Um, sure, but uh, it, 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 this is this is not done lightly. I mean, because I re- I liked Distant Plane a lot more than I really thought I would. It, mm. it really spoke to me. Um, but Gandhi, it's just I just like the the idea that you have nonviolent factions. I mean, that alone gets you know makes me sit up and say interesting. You know, uh, you know, insert that that gif of you know you had my attention. Uh, yeah, this is uh, something. It's you know just something a little different, and it has those again those those interplays of um, both mechanics and kind of above the table action in a way that I find very interesting. That uh, and, and again, I like I like to think about you know what is this model here, and there's something very uh, very strong. There's a very strong thesis about you know kind of what what the Brits could have done by tying their own hands. Um, how if you know they become uh you know kind of more militarily active it means there's more you know motivation for the population to get involved with these these nonviolent resistance factions i I just i love that dynamic that that interplay there so it's it's certainly this is one of those games i'm thinking about you know when i'm brushing my teeth right now i'm gonna break my own hot seat rule here and just butt in because on paper and i think i've admitted this in the past like gandhi does nothing for me as like a design like i hear nonviolent factions and not not that like i played plenty of like soulless euros with no conflict it's not that it's just Mm -hmm. like but not only you guys not only the coin collectors but when i hear a group or an individual like that's really bought into gandhi and has played gandhi those people are really high on gandhi you don't you don't hear a ton of praise for it Mm -hmm. but when people are into it it seems to really 
hit quite a few buttons. It, it's it sounds like a very interesting design. I, yeah. I want to try it more than I did when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it might be something of a self-selecting group are the ones who are who are engaging with Gandhi. You know, maybe people who you know are looking you know looking for that a little bit more kind of direct military conflict. You know, are are not opting in and and therefore are not there to to say anything against it. But I, yeah, I do think it does something. Fair. It does something different. Um, and you know, if you've played some other coins and you want to try something that that goes in a different direction, it's not entirely foreign. It's got you know, in some ways, it goes back to some of the the, the real core fundamentals. You know, it's much closer to say fire in the lake than it is to liberty or death, and kind of like a lot of its implementation details. Okay, um, but it you know at the same time has this very interesting twist. Um, I mean, and the thing about like what does it mean to be nonviolent in a game where we're not actually like really hurting each other, <laughs> you know, what, you know, in some sense, it's kind of silly, silly to say, Oh, this is the nonviolent faction. Well, their, their wood pieces don't kill other, other wood pieces. Like, you know, it, no one's violent, you know, we're, we're pushing pieces around on these pieces of wood around. So I think just even just labeling it nonviolent and then people have this kind of reaction. I just find that kind of interesting psychological change in the game to say this, this faction is nonviolent. And then you say, Oh, okay. What does that mean? Well, they, they work this track uh, and they put out these pieces, but they're nonviolent. Um, <laughs> But I think it's also interesting from from the larger perspective of the thesis, of saying this can work. You know, the uh, the designers' notes about um, the success of nonviolent uh, of nonviolent action. You know, as as a tool to affect change against you know stronger uh, stronger you know government forms is, is kind of an interesting persuade. It's a persuasive a persuasive argument, and it's interesting to see it play out or have the possibility of playing out in the game. Sure. Eighteen uh, XX or cube rails? Uh, cube rails. Um, I love eighteen XX. Uh, you know, if, if you can spend a day, you know, if you want to spend a day doing an economic game, by all means, eighteen XX. Um, uh, but same. To, but but I love about cube rails. It often gives me that that experience in an hour. Um, uh-huh. Again, talking about my kids, I do a lot of game with my kids, and like they adore Chicago Express. Um, and they even they beat me at it. I don't know if that what that says about me or about my kids, but you know, they, they can win a game of Chicago express, um, particularly if they collude against their dad, which is a great strategy on their part. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I have a, a big old shelf of cube trail. None of the original like winsome clan shells, but sure. I got a lot of the, the reprints and those are, those are great family fair. So that one, that one's an easy pick for me. Nice. Trick takers or card shedders. Hmm. Hmm. So I was mentioning earlier, like you get one really powerful design and you don't really feel like, you need to do other things. I think I wonder if bridge is kind of, you know, sucked up all the trick taking uh, air in the room. So I'm going to go with shedders. Nice. Is that, you know, those doesn't like just get around your hands and, you know, doing your mic drop and walking away from the table. That's always a great feeling. <laughs> out. Yep. Yep. Falling sky or Andy and abyss, Andy and abyss. Oh, Andy and abyss. I, you know, of all the games falling sky, I just, I didn't hit on that one. And I actually oh. really liked Andy and abyss. I liked it a lot better than I thought I would. All right. You can, you can relax. <sighs> I'm sweating, yeah. just drenched here. <laughs> are you? Are you? A little bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, anything else you want to add or, or say uh, or or plug or where can people find you? Anything like that? Oh, uh, sure. So again, I'm Mark. I'm one of the the coin collectors, along with Tyler, Tom, and Phil. Uh, we uh, put out uh, roughly a monthly podcast under the Dads on a Map line. So come find us at uh, dadsonamap.com or find our Discord and come interact with us. And we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. And Mark's part of the history on the table. Yep, you can also Discord find me there. there. Absolutely. Yep. 
source some of the other guys. Yeah, great yeah. Group of people. there's a lot of cross pollination there. I think that that speaks to the high quality of both both communities. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm editing uh, our April episode, and I was trying to talk about deserted island ads and. Vietnam 1965-75 came up and I was like, hey, and if you want to hear more about this game, you know, plug in my own shit and stuff. And I was like, you can just go listen to Dads on a Map. And it <laughs> took me like a few seconds. But wait a second. That's not right at all. I'll have to have like dads on the table. Dads under the table after we've had a, a late night, maybe. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So, well, great. Mark, thank you so much for uh, giving up your Monday night and uh, coming by and just talking games. And it, it I just love hearing... Um, my example of this is Mike Denson, who designed Last 100 Yards. You get him started talking about something he's passionate about. And it's just, I love hearing people talk about, whether they're a designer or just a fan, stuff they enjoy and like. And when, when you really go in depth on the different layers of coin and different historical simulations you like, uh, it's really enjoyable. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, thanks for inviting me. I, I had a blast. I'm always... I was kind of amazed at, you know, it's one of those great like democratization of information that the internet does is podcasts and, and these kinds of like, you know, stuff on YouTube that just people are just passionate about stuff, go out and do things. And, you know, sometimes you find someone who's, you know, passionate about like model cars and, you know, three hours later, you've been watching someone restore old matchbox cars or something. <laughs> I, I've literally like watched people split wood with an ax on YouTube for, an, for like an hour on end just because they're just so good at it and just, you know, you just get sucked into their their passion that's just too much fun <laughs> when i when covid first i had covid the june of first covid covid year zero covid COVID, COVID 1.0 right and uh i was like ah, i'm gonna work from home and like eight hours later i'd watched so many defunct land videos which is about like old amusement parks or abandoned amusement parks and rides and it's like what am i doing with my oh life? i guess i know what i'm doing tonight <laughs> yeah. sorry honey i can't come to bed now <laughs> <laughs> hey you want to watch something really exciting tonight <laughs> here's it's a zambini zinger from kansas city it's even more exciting than that canoeing video i made you watch this <laughs> oh god are we are we watching wood splitting videos again <laughs> awesome all right hey have a great week and uh you know what that here i stand game we should talk i'd be down for that let's do that let's do that so hey i want to say congratulations on on the baby and and good luck with all that thank you Thank you. We're, we're exactly a month out. All right. She'll be here June 2nd. So Exciting. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Matt. This interview was pre-recorded on May 2nd, 2022.